Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. excited to have the privilege to teach this morning, and um, you know, I was just uh, thinking through the set list this morning. It's, it's so awesome sometimes how, you know, you, sometimes you think that we're a little bit more organized than we are, I'll just be honest. I think Garrett and Ike, you know, conferred about what songs he should sing and whatnot, and we didn't, uh, just so you know, just to kind of pull the curtain back there a little bit, but yeah, Holy Spirit knew what he was doing anyways, so... Songs were perfect this morning, sets us up uh, exactly for where we are going. Uh, and speaking of where we're going, we're going to go ahead and dive right in, all right? So uh, we're going to read the Word of God together. Um, and uh, I, we haven't really done this here. Uh, we used to do this at my old church. I actually kind of liked it, and so I'm actually going to ask us to do it. Would everybody just stand as we read the Word of God together? Great. Here we go. The word that's going to come up on the screen for you here. This is Titus 2. Verses 11 through 15 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. You can read along with me. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encouraging and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. It helps if I can read. You can go ahead and be seated. (laughs) So I want to actually start with this very last verse here. It's not very often that I do that. It's, uh, it's not very often that you, you look at a text and you start with the very last verse. Um, it's, it's equally as scarce that you start with a verse, uh, that the last verse of a text that you're teaching starts with the words, these, then, or therefore. Typically what happens whenever you're teaching, you start with the text that says, therefore, and then you go into this big, long list of ways that you should live. Um, and do. And then you always have to spend half the sermon going back and asking, well, what is that therefore, therefore? And you recap everything that you've already talked about before and why now we ought to live this way. Well, we're actually not going to talk about this verse. That's why I'm showing it to you now so that you can see it, understand where we're headed, which is next week. Because of everything we're going to talk about today, there's going to be something for you next week, a response to the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. So you see this verse? This is awesome. Think about this for next week. This is next week's problem, not this week's problem, okay? Next week, everything we talk about today is going to lead us into a way that we ought to live, a way that we ought to be, all right? Things that ought to be taught and done. But for today, we are going to talk about the first four verses of this passage, all right? God has given us a grace that has appeared. So let's take a look at that. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared 
that offers salvation to all people. You know, when I was in college, I had an incredibly good friend by the name of Jared. He was actually a groomsman in my wedding, and I met him my junior year. Uh, Jared was this awesome man. He was an awesome believer. He had spent time in Afghanistan. He came back and was taking classes on a GI Bill, so he had a good, like, five, six years on me. And uh, we were in the same group of, of three men that would meet together and uh, learn just how to pray, how to read the scriptures. Um, and we were all at varying levels in our faith. I was very young, even though I had been a believer for a long time. Jared was much more advanced in his faith, um, and uh, he had also grown up in the church, but had always taken a lot more serious, and uh, it was really a, an anchor for him when he was overseas at war, and he grew a ton. And so when he came back, it was a privilege for me to get to be in a group with him and to learn from him. Um, and to be able to confide in him. And so uh, when I was dating Amanda, okay, so this would have been my senior, or not my senior, my first year of being on staff, I would actually spend a lot of time at Jared's house. Um, I would be coming from Fayette, just to kind of paint a picture, I'd be coming from Fayette to Columbia quite often because I'm dating a hottie in Columbia, not in Fayette where I'm at, okay? So I'd be coming in quite often, and I actually worked some mornings in Columbia at about 6 a.m. And so what I would do a lot of times, I'd stay till Amanda's about midnight or so, and then I'd crash on someone's couch. A lot of times that would be Jared's couch. So I'd head over to Jared's about midnight, and then, you know, I, of course I'd go to, no, I wouldn't go to sleep. We'd stay up talking until 2 or 3 in the morning, playing music, doing whatever. Um, he was a musician just like me. We used to play all the time. And we would talk about a lot of things. Well, in this one particular season of my life, I was going through a huge bout of depression. Um, I had been fighting this thing for like three or four months, and it had gotten to the point where it could only be defined by what is sometimes referred to as the, the crisis of faith or the dark night of the soul, where your mind and your heart just refuses to believe what you know is true, where everything seems flipped upside down. It's hard to believe that God loves you. It's hard sometimes even to believe that God exists. And it's a horrifying experience if any of you have ever been there. It's also an amazing experience because the Lord uses it to build something in you that can't be gotten any other way. I kind of hope none of you ever have to go through it, and I kind of hope that some of you do. It's a horrible dilemma. But I'm in the midst of this crisis season, and I'm very confused. Now that I think about it, I think this was before, actually, I started ministering, I believe, because um, this happened right before that. Um, and I'm at Jared's house one evening, and I'm talking to him about the grace of God. We had just been learning about it, and he stopped me in the middle of our conversation because he noticed something was wrong. And he said, do you, do you actually know what the grace of God is? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's like forgiveness, it's like love. And he's like, no, no, actually it's not either of those. He said, those are maybe results of God's grace, but that's not the grace of God. The grace of God is quite simply his unmerited favor. Many of you are probably familiar with that definition, but that's, that's quite simply all grace means is unmerited favor. Unmerited in the sense that 
it absolutely comes without any pre-qualification. That's what unmerited means. No pre-qualification. You did nothing, you are nothing to deserve it. It is completely and totally undeserved, unmerited. And on top of that, it's also God's favor. It's his favor. And, and you might say, well, why is that so, why was that so impactful for you? It was for this reason. I had grown up in the church. I had claimed to be a believer since I was five years old, but I had lived my life since I was five, since I, till I was 20, completely opposite of the way someone who knows Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior should be living. My life was focused on me, and I did everything else that the world said was good, and I did nothing that the Lord said was good. I was not transformed, even though I claimed to be. And so whenever I started following the Lord when I was 20 years old, I had this season where I just exploded. I just exploded and everything started making sense and my life started to transform and everything was going so good and I couldn't believe this new life that was being formed inside of me. And then this crisis of faith hits and it looked a little bit like this. Yeah, but what about all the other stuff from the last 15 years, Clayton? Do you think that just goes away? Do you really think God loves you? Come on, aren't you taking this a little too far And these thoughts, I just couldn't get rid of them. And so what that resulted in was me then trying to earn God's love, which you cannot do. It cannot happen. It ceases to be grace at that point. And it resulted in this. And so Jared lovingly corrected me and taught me about what God's grace is, that it's unmerited favor. Now, what do we mean by favor? What does that mean? You know, the last week was, uh, was Halloween, right? And so we're out trick-or-treating with the girls. And I live in kind of this, this weird neighborhood where, you know, where I live is, is the neighborhood's just kind of normal, average, kind of middle-income, uh, you know, neighborhood. But just a few blocks away, man, there's some houses. You know what I'm saying? Like there are some houses. We got like a lake or country clubs right there. And like there are some, I mean, mansions. One mansion in particular has like three car garage in the back, two car garage in the front. Massive. I mean, just, just like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air looking house, right? And you pull up and auntie and uncle were there and yeah. But uh, um, anyways, you, 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 you roll up to the house and like we, we kind of clued our kids in. Not going to lie, we were going with the neighbors. We were walking around. I said, girls, you know, you know this house. They're going to give you the full-size candy bars. Sure enough, they walk up to the house. They knock on the door. People come out. Silver platter. Not joking. <laughs> Silver platter. Full-size everything right there. So me and one of the other dads were like, man, this is, this is, this is incredible. Can you believe this? And, and then here's the crazy thing. The woman, she like starts to try to talk to the kids. Hey, 
who are you guys? What are you being? You know, these things. She's like trying to talk to him. And the kids, they're like, oh my gosh, candy bars. They take what they want. You know, they put in the bag, like, thing, you know, bye. I'm like, no, 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 they want to talk to you. You should, you should talk to them more. Why was I thinking that? Because, boy, wouldn't it be great if we had the favor of those people on our side? You know, me and the dad were talking, we're like, just ask them if they want to be your auntie, you know? Like, maybe they want to pay for your college fund. This would be awesome, right? Like, make friends. We want their favor. Now, if I want the favor of someone that's just wealthy, because it might help out my prospects in this life, how much more so should I want the favor of the one that created everything? This favor of God, it is a very desirable thing. It's amazing that he would lavish it on us for no reason. We don't have to be cute kids dressed up in cute costumes to get his favor. We don't have to do things for him to get his favor. We don't earn the favor of God because if we did it would cease to be grace the grace of God has appeared it has come to us what does that mean it has come for thousands of years for thousands of years prior to Jesus there was this hope that God would set all things right from the fall to Jesus There was nothing but hope that God could and would save one day. Now, God had made many promises that he would, and we know that God always makes good on his promises, but up until then, he had not yet done so. However, with Jesus, that grace of God, that unmerited favor, the undeserved favor to all people, which we'll talk about in just a second, came in the form of a person, and that person was Jesus. Because Jesus left his heavenly home and came to earth for no sane reason at all that you and I could make any sense of, to die for wretched souls like ours, the grace of God, the unmerited favor, the one who created the whole universe, who owns the stars, who owns the oceans, who owns the earth, who owns all the planets and everything on them, including the things we haven't even discovered yet, came and gave all of those riches to you and me creatures who were undeserved, wretched sinners. And he did it by becoming one of us, living perfectly, and then submitting to our pitiful, shameful death that was earned by our sin and not by his holiness. That is what this means. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people You and I are sinners in need of a Savior. You cannot be a Christian unless you understand that. We need a Savior. It is Jesus. And it comes by grace and grace alone. And guess what? It's for everyone. All people. No pre-qualifications. It's not based on your economics. It's not based on your physical abilities. It's not based on your ethnicity. It's not based even on your ability to behave well. It is 100 and whatever percent totally free. I guess there's really no way to be better than 100. But it is 100% and totally dependent on God's desire. That's it. You could put it this way. He loves you. Because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, 
for no reason that you can make sense on. He has given you his favor because he has decided to give you his favor. It is his desires. He's got his own purposes. And we are clued into what some of those purposes are in this text. So as we move on to verse 12, what we see is that this grace of God, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You know what I find very interesting about this passage is you'll notice that it doesn't begin, when it starts talking about the benefits of this salvation to us, it doesn't begin by talking about what I refer to as the floaty place. Now, before you all start throwing stones at me, what I mean by the floaty place is it doesn't say, hey, Jesus came to die on the cross so that, you know, one day, eventually, after you die, you'll get to experience good things. And those good things are clouds, halos, stringed harps, wings, and white ropes. No. No, it doesn't start with anything to do with the afterlife. It starts with this life. Jesus came, died on a cross, not that you would live the way you want to live the rest of your life until you die and are made perfect, but that, so that you could begin now because this grace comes and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly patches and, it, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives now in this present age. You know, my friend Jerry that I was just talking about in the course of that discussion, I remember this discussion like it was yesterday. It was very impactful. And it was like at one in the morning on a weeknight before I had to work at six the next morning. And he said to me, he goes, you know, Clayton, honestly, I would say that God's, the, God's grace is more close to the word power than it is forgiveness and, and even love. It's, it's powerful. God's grace, whenever we are living out of it, whenever we are fully realizing it, it gives us power that we didn't have before. It not only teaches us, but gives us the ability to say no. We believe in total depravity. It doesn't mean that you can never do anything good apart from being saved. I mean, God has given us all a sense of right and wrong. But we can't judge fully what is the desires of God's heart until we've been given his grace because along with that comes his indwelling Holy Spirit. You know, I think sometimes in the evangelical world that I grew up in at least, I haven't honestly heard about it as much in, in this church context, um, there is a propensity to focus on the afterlife too much when it comes to our salvation. Now, some focus on it too little, quite frankly. You know, sometimes you can get around some more liberal theologies like social gospel or liberation theology 
or even the prosperity gospel. And you never really hear them talk about heaven and the afterlife. It's all about this life. It's all about Jesus coming to, to basically uh, be a social justice warrior or something like that. No, he didn't do that. Jesus didn't come so you could have a, a rockin' 401k. That wasn't it. Um, he does come to save us from sin now and after we die. But I think, I think sometimes in the evangelical world, we, we don't focus enough about now. Jesus came now to start teaching us to start teaching us to live godly lives in this present age now. To free us from our worldly passions. You know, the good life, that's the name of this sermon series, right? The good life is the opposite of the bad life. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Right? I do teach our elementary kids Sometimes you've got to break it down to where it's super simple. The good life is the opposite of the bad life. The problem is we don't always recognize the bad life whenever we're walking in it. Sometimes we even get confused with thinking the bad life is the good life, and that's why we need the Spirit to teach us otherwise. Sometimes that's the very reason for those dark nights of the soul and crisis of the faith seasons that I was talking about earlier. See, the good life isn't a promise for riches, at least not earthly ones. The good life isn't a promise of a life without suffering. In some instances, it seems like it's actually a promise to more suffering. The good life is a promise that you will be made back into the creatures that God intended for you to be and me to be in the beginning. Before chapter 3 of Genesis. That's the promise of the good life. And God isn't interested in waiting until you die to give it to you. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. You know, sometimes I think we get, we get carried away with some of our idols of money and success and stuff. And, and I love the way Lewis puts it. In his book, The Weight of Glory, which is one of my favorite books of all time, probably in my top five, he says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are just far too easily pleased. What God has for us the good life, it isn't found in any of the things that we naturally think of when we think of what it would mean to have a good life. And it's actually God's grace that teaches us 
to start to divorce ourselves from some of those passions that would ensnare us and keep us from realizing who he wants us to be. I teach our kids, like I said, and uh, if you guys have kids in elementary, the elementary class, then I would encourage you, at least on weeks that I've got done teaching, to ask them this question, what is the purpose of humans? Now, I hope that they give you the right answer. <laughs> but what is the purpose of humans? And if you guys are maybe more familiar with it in the terms of like Christian theologian, I don't know what you would call that, like subculture here. Sometimes you've heard the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of humans? The correct answer? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. God didn't come to make you miserable. He didn't create you to be just miserable beings. He created you to have joy everlasting. And we have cheapened that phrase, joy, to the point where we're not even able to recognize what is truly good and what is truly bad but the grace of God that has already appeared through Jesus Christ, if we submit to that, teaches us to say no. And instead, to say yes. Now it also offers us a blessed hope. And in verse 13 and 14, we read about this. So the grace of God, right, that teaches us to say no, it does this while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He is going to come back. Yes, you are saved unto the good life in the present age, and you have the promise, just like he made good on his last one, you have a promise that there is another age to come where he will come back and there will be no more this sort of middle ground where we have the good life mixing with the bad life. There will come a day when the bad life will be completely and totally eradicated and only the good life will remain. All will be made right again. That is coming, and that is a blessed hope. And we ought to long for that day. We ought to long for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've always felt just a little robbed, I'm going to be honest with you. I know that we have a lot to be thankful for. We have the scriptures, we have the church, we have a lot of theology figured out. But man, I think it would be cool to see Jesus. I think that would be pretty cool. I've spent most of my adult life worshiping him. I've spent most of my adult life praying to him. I've never met the guy. Boy, that would be awesome. 
Of course, that's not true. Of course, I have met him. I have his spirit. But one day, what's invisible will be made visible. One day, it will be right here. We just sang that homecoming song. That's it. That's the good life. We will get it. Oh my gosh, guys. Like that, should, that should get you excited. It gets me excited. It is a blessed hope indeed that we have. Do you want to show up at that blessed hope looking like you do now? I don't know that I do. And isn't that what the rest of this verse says? So what is this in-between time? Why doesn't he just come back now? The grace of God is still teaching us to say no to the worldly passions. Would you even be happy? If all things were made right, if all things were made good, would you even call it good? Would you even know to call it good? Would you be going, where's the gold pots? Where, where, where's, the, where's the infinite baseball game that I dream about being heaven? You know, where's, where's the hunting stand where 30-point bucks just walk out in front of you all day long? We're far too easily pleased. We don't even know what's good. That's why we're here right now. And that's what the grace of God is doing in you right now. Teaching you to know good from bad. The Lord is redeeming you and saving you right now to what will be forever so that you will know it is good. He came to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He's creating for himself an army, a people. And these people will bring about that good life. See, we're not being saved to a perfect world that God, or we are being saved to a perfect world that God is recreating, reclaiming back from the enemy. He is destroying the enemy, not with a sword, not with fire, not with bombs, not with bullets, but through righteousness and holiness. He's overcoming evil with good, and he needs his subjects to be subjects of good. His army, we are equipped with righteousness. But guess what? I haven't been made fully righteous yet. We are equipped with holiness, but I haven't been made fully holy yet. It's only a fool that sends his army into a battle unequipped, and God is no fool. Take it serious. This life, this salvation, it wasn't a permission slip to do whatever you want to do 
and to reap the benefits one day when you die. No, that's not why Jesus came and suffered. That's an insult and a spit in his face. And honestly, the Bible doesn't know any salvation that looks like that. came to redeem us. He has a purpose. They are his own purpose. But guess what? God's glory is always for our good. So he has come. He has given us his favor, undeserved, for his glory and your good. Garrett's going to come back up here. And as he does, I, I want to ask a few things. Are you experiencing the salvation of God now in your life? Do you see yourself beginning to desire the things of good over the things of this world? Because see, it's about your heart. And your heart will dictate your actions. You're not going to be saved to a cloudy place that honestly seems just a little bit boring to me. You're not saved to a permission slip to just do whatever you want to do for the rest of your life. You're saved to a new life, a righteous life, a blessed life. You were saved to a good life. So the simple question is, are you beginning to desire the things of God? If not, what are you doing about it? If yes, then, then have you maybe settled for something less than what God calls good and what God has saved you to? Garrett's going to start playing, and we're going to spend some time in reflection and prayer before we begin to sing, before we even have communion, because I think it's important. So what we're going to do is we're going to have some prayer prompts up here. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds on this first one. Settle your hearts, and I simply want you to, to do this. I want you to ask God to open your eyes to the fullness of the life that he has saved you unto. Just take a few minutes to do that. show us where our hearts have yet to begin to desire things that he has for them. Would you ask that in your own life? I'm going to give you, it might even be a little bit uncomfortable, a minute or two here to really consider that. Ask God.
like for us to end this final prayer call to you. I'd like for you to ask God to help you to accept, to walk in the grace that he gave you, saved you through the atoning sacrifice. to share the grace of God to us through the symbol of communion. You know, sometimes I I say the word symbol of communion and I, I, I want to pause. Before you take communion, I just want you to pause there. It is more than just a symbol. You know, sometimes we say it's just a symbol. It, it is, but it isn't. Sometimes when we say the word symbol, we kind of diminish what it, it is. It's the promise of a new life. As we take in these elements, this is Jesus who, who sat before his disciples on the night before he went to pay that atoning sacrifice, and he said, this is my body. This is my blood. Whenever you take of it, think of me. Remember me. Remember what I have done for you. And, and what is it he has done for us? He has literally given himself to us. And in this symbol, we are taking these elements, his blood and his, his blood and his body, and we are taking them into ourselves. And we are in doing that saying, I receive all of you, Jesus. Cleanse me. Make me new. Sometimes we take in vain. We take, we just take. I'm going to ask you this morning do actual business with God through this act of Yes, it's a symbol, but it's a beautiful symbol. And I don't want you to forsake its meaning. As you take this morning, would you simply ask God, make my desires yours. And I'm just going to ask you this. If you're not willing to do that, then I'm going to ask you to please not take this one. I know that sounds really weird for a preacher to ask you not to do it. But if you're not willing to say, Lord, make my desires yours. I want all of you. Please don't take joy because the grace of God it has appeared and it is for you he offers it freely Here it's going to sing we're going to worship this grace that God has given us